0: Oh good morning. Good morning, Matt. Uh, my name is Matt. For those of you who uh, don't know me, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to continue in our series, "Love Is One," uh, in John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to John chapter 20, we're going to be starting in verse 19 in just a moment here. Pastor Joe called it uh, uh, Easter in August last week. So happy Easter. Christ is risen. Amen. He is risen indeed. One more time. Christ is risen. risen It's a wonderful thing. You know that's why the church gathered every Sunday. Because it's Easter every Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of the risen King. Amen. Christ is risen. He has overcome sin. He's overcome death. He's overcome Satan. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These things are true. And the church said, amen. Every Sunday, we get to celebrate that? That's why we do Sunday. Have you ever wondered why this day of the week? It's because on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And there is creation language wrought throughout all this Gospel of John stuff. It's amazing. Um... And it's not even in the notes here. So I don't, I don't know if I want to get too far down that road, but you've got to hear it. It's a beautiful thing. The first day of the week, God created the world in six days. On the sixth day, he finished his work. Sixth day is Friday. On Friday, Jesus finished his work too. Amen? He died on the cross on a Friday afternoon, rested on the Sabbath day in the tomb, rose from the dead on the first day of the week because it's a new creation, brothers and sisters. It's a brand. New creation. This is the first day of the new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And yet, that can be a reality that you hear about every week. And I praise God for you, Sam, your gift of exhortation. I told her on her way back, she's already preached the sermon. Sam already preached it. That's a message you can hear every single week, and it doesn't reach some area of your heart. You can hear this message of the gospel for years and years and years, and yes, as Christians, People have truly received the grace of God, and yet it's like the grace of God moved into the living room but didn't quite hit the kitchen, or didn't quite hit the basement, or didn't quite hit some room in your life where it needs to still yet take root and take over. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? That's the tension that we're living in as we come to this morning's text. I I recently heard a story of a Japanese soldier in World War II. His name was Hiro Onoda. He was deployed to fight uh, in uh, the Philippine Islands and so he was deployed to the island of Lubang and he's, w- within months of his deployment the war was over. There was no more war to fight. The Japanese military surrendered to the allied forces, war is over. But you know, time was different back then and it took time for the message that the war is over to reach him and his men. And so in the time that it took between the war being over and the message to reach him, they're still fighting a war that is done. They're still fighting a war that's done. And the first wave of the message that the war is over didn't reach him and his men. And so for a year after the war, they're still fighting as if it's a war. They're still living as if they're in active combat. They're still living in fear. They're still living in isolation deep in the woods. The next wave of the attempt to communicate with them was the Japanese government sent airplanes to drop leaflets over the islands. And so these leaflets are literally falling from the sky with the message, it's done. The war is over. You can come home now and live as a civilian in freedom with your families and with your friends, not in fighting and in conflict and in fear and in war. Here's the leaflet falling literally from the sky, and they read the leaflet, studied the leaflet, looked at the leaflet, saw the pictures in the leaflet and they decided this is US propaganda, we're not gonna believe it. So they continued to fight a war that was already done. The third wave was his own brother came out there to the island of Lubang. He had a, he had a megaphone, he was singing songs that they had sung together in their childhood. Maybe this would generate a personal connection and a personal touch, a song that only he would know. And as he's singing the song, His voice begins to crack, presumably because he's emotional as he's singing this, reaching out, calling for his brother. And Anoda heard the song, but when his his brother's voice cracked, he said, Ah, that was a nice crafty trick, but I know what they're up to. That ain't the real thing. And so he continued to fight a war that was long over. The failure to believe the news resulted in 29 years. 29 years of tragically living in an unnecessary state of isolation and fear. Combat. When those years could have been lived in peace and freedom with family and friends. And so lest we think of a story like that as an anomaly, like, oh my goodness, how could that happen? Which, I mean, it should create some of that. But lest we think it's an anomaly, uh, think about what we just talked about a minute ago. That people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, that he's conquered sin, death, and Satan, that he's more than ready and willing to apply the victory of his resurrected life to every area of your life. Consider the fact that even us who have heard this good news, and yet we, yes, we in this room can still carry areas of our lives where we hide in remote locations of the heart, We hide behind locked doors of fear and isolation, living as if Easter Sunday never happened. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? Have you had that experience in some area of your life? And so we bring this tension with us as we come to the text this morning. It's Easter Sunday. It's the evening of Easter Sunday, and it is good news. Christ is risen but the disciples are ironically living in fear behind locked doors. And so if you've ever been in that place before, if there's some room where you're still locked even this morning in fear and doubt, either literally or figuratively, if you've locked yourself inside somewhere like that, like we'll see in a minute as the disciples are, if that's you, I hope this morning you hear the good news of Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, pull up a chair because one, you're not alone, praise God. And two, you're in really good company. Jesus' own followers have been there too. Matter of fact, all of us in this room, if we're honest, have been there too. Pull up a chair. You're in very, very good company. And so we're going to start with verse 19. I'm going to go ahead and just read the whole text because I can't preach on the whole text. There's too many good things in that text. We're just going to read the whole text and we'll say a few things about a few verses. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, Sunday again, by the way, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, we thank you for your word. We pray that the words of my mouth and meditation is of our heart to be acceptable in your sight, and that your word would do what only your word can do in our lives. Would you transform us and make us more like you? In Jesus' name, amen. So the doors are locked. It's kind of ironic. Christ is risen, and the disciples are afraid behind locked doors. There's a great irony here. The doors are locked, and it says the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. It's really important. This is not fear of all Jewish people. The disciples are Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. The extended followers of the community of disciples, not just the 12, but they're all Jewish. It's not fear of all Jewish people. That's not what the text is saying. But the fear of the Jews, this is important because it's speaking to a trauma that they just experienced. They've just gone through a terrible, terrible week. Jewish religious leaders have been targeting, persecuting, sneakily going behind Jesus' back and working out all these crazy things with the Roman government that eventually led to Jesus' death on the cross. Straight up trauma. So they're scared of the Jewish religious leaders. And then when it comes to the expanded community of their fellow countrymen, yes, they are scared of their fellow countrymen. Because just a week ago, and we remember this passage when we preached on it a few few weeks back, but um, they go into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the people, the crowds, the multitudes are welcoming them, shouting what? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, this is a grand welcome from your fellow countrymen. But these crowds on Friday were shouting something very different. You know what they were shouting, right? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they're wondering. See, this is where the fear comes from. Who's going to turn on us next? Who's going to turn us in next? One of our own, Judas Iscariot, turned on us and turned us in. So you understand the fear. Who's going to do it next? Who can I trust What if we get arrested like Jesus was? What if I'm crucified and die like Jesus did? And when you start to let that fear really set in, and you start to let the paranoia that comes with it really set in, fear can do weird things to us, amen? Fear can do really weird things to us. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's a good fear. And there are some good fears. The fear of the Lord is the best fear. It's the fear of being outside of his will. The fear of being outside of his grace and goodness and mercy. It's the fear of not giving him the proper awe and respect that is due him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it moves us to repentance and to want to rest in the refuge and shelter that's only found in Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is so, so good. But almost every other kind of fear is poison for us. And if we let these kinds of fears rule us, direct us, govern us, It starts to take our lives in very specific directions and starts to creep in in very specific ways, like a soldier continually fighting a war that's long been over, or like apostles. The word apostle means sent one, like sent ones locked behind closed doors in fear. There's an irony here. For them, it's a fear of persecution, and it's a fear of death. And for you, what are your fears this morning? We carried them in the room with us. What are your fears that you're carrying this morning? What doubts are you carrying in your heart? And what locked doors have you been trapped behind because of those fears and because of those doubts? Maybe there's fears inside of you that nobody knows about but you. Praise God, there is someone in heaven who knows about those fears, and he would love for you to invite him in. To that room in your heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what are you scared of this morning? Is it money? And not having enough? Fear of the future? Fear of a, what's going to happen if a lease runs out? Because that can happen. Is it fear of what people think of you? Or what they might do to you? Because there's some hostility in some relationship, in some place in your life. Is it a fear of missing out? on something you were supposed to have, a fear of running out of time, a fear of death, a fear of regret. Did I do enough, say enough? Did I do it wrong, say it wrong? Whatever your fears might be and your doubts. The what if stuff, the what if God is merciful to those people, but not to me, those kinds of doubts. Or the doubts like, what if it's not true? Or what if I'm, go on and on and on. What are you carrying with you? Somebody told me recently that in this room, statistically, over half of the room will have, is, or will be going through a significant prolonged season of suffering with doubt. It's just statistics. And the reality is, is what does it look like to create the kind of space where those doubts can be named, spoken, addressed, acknowledged? What would it look like for you to acknowledge your fears and your doubts? You see, part of the, the, the battle in overcoming fear and doubt is not acting like it isn't there, but naming it, acknowledging it. Have you ever met somebody who says, I ain't scared, I ain't scared, I ain't scared, but it's obvious they're scared? Or sometimes, if you, oh, I don't have any doubts, I don't have any, I don't doubt, I don't doubt, but you're trying to convince yourself because you're so full of doubt. Or, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, but really I'm just saying that because I'm so desperately anxious. By the way, that's been all me at various points in my own life. What would it look like for you to acknowledge, to name it? We don't hear the apostles naming their fears in this text, but John was there, and when he writes about it, he says, they were afraid. He knew they were afraid, and he knew that's why the door was locked. What does it look like to know and to name it? And Thomas, he wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to them behind locked doors, but thankfully Thomas has the freedom to acknowledge what his own doubts sound like. And for him it sounds like this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thank God he has the freedom to name it. The safety of a community of brothers where he can name his doubts. If you ever have developed a discipline of praying through the Psalms, and if if you haven't, try it sometime. It's a wonderful experience. But the Psalms are a constant naming of the inner life of what's going on and bringing it out into the open before God. Save me, O Lord, for the waters have gone up to my neck. That's naming your fear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? That's naming your doubt. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart continually? How long will my enemies reign over me? Look on me and answer. O Lord, my God, lest I sleep in the sleep of death. Does that sound like naming your doubts? The Lord loves it when we bring it into his presence. All of it. What would it look like for you to name your doubts and your fears this morning? The acknowledgement of what we truly need in our fears and doubts. It, it, it's, it's like when you go to the doctor and you really share your symptoms and you don't hide them. <laughs> You're laughing. You're like, ah, I, didn't, I didn't say that, 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 and that. Or I didn't check that, 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 that off of the, uh, you know. But, but when you really name your symptoms, a good physician's going to listen to them and go, then, one step deeper below the surface and find out what's really going on so that the healing medicine can go down to that particular area of your life. And this is what the Savior would love for us to do because he's an amazing physician of the soul. He's an amazing physician and he knows where you're hurting. He would love for you to open up that space to him so that his healing word can be spoken in that place. He invites the healing word into your life and it's a word that can set you free. And so, in 1974, there was a student. His name was Norio Suzuki. And Suzuki had heard rumors that there were people who were still fighting a war that was long over. He wondered if they were true. He had heard about Hiro Onoda. And he actually went to Lubang Island to go and find out if he could find this man. College student. He went into the woods and he eventually, he found him in four days. They fa- he found him in four days and he began to befriend him, share newspaper articles with him, clippings, stories, show him what the world has been like for the past 29 years. Because the world changed a lot between 1945 and, I don't know the math, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> but he began to befriend him and win his trust. And Onoda, the soldier, opened up to him that space in his heart where this is the word that I need to hear. This is it. We've got to be able to name this stuff. He named it for him. He said, my commanding officer told me to never leave my post until he personally relieved me of my duty. I'm staying here until I hear from my commanding officer. I've never heard from him yet. Haven't heard from him for 29 years. I don't care what news comes my way. I need to hear from him. That student went back home, shared this with the Japanese government. They found his commanding officer. And his commanding officer flew all that way, all those miles, to that remote, you know, village and the jungles just outside that village on this remote island in the Philippines, he went all this way just to share a simple word that would set a man free from living in bondage and fear and doubt. Isn't that really beautiful? If a military commanding officer would go that far to share a word that would set a man free simply in this life, how much more would your heavenly father love to go into the deepest, darkest rooms of your heart, send his only begotten son who loves you and gave himself for you, and step into that very room with a message that will set you free, not only in this age, but in the age to come. How much more does your heavenly father love you? Amen? And this is exactly what he does in verse 19 it says jesus came into the locked room jesus came stood among them and said to them peace be with you and when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad it's good news that brings gladness the disciples were glad when they saw the lord praise god jesus knows how to walk through your locked doors He knows how to walk right up into that space. And whatever your locked doors are, Jesus is more than able to not only walk right through them, to meet you in that place, but to speak the word of peace into that inner room of your fears and your doubts. What would it look like for you to call upon him and invite him into those rooms and into those spaces of your very life this morning? Romans says that the Lord richly blesses all who call upon him. Jesus says that if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children... How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit and give good gifts to those who ask him? I've been challenged by this. I read this little book called On Prayer by a a Presbyterian pastor named Peter Lightheart. And in On Prayer, he was just simply saying, who are you praying to when you pray? Like, do you know who you're praying to and do you pray like you know who you're praying to? And this has really challenged my prayer life. Do you pray like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or do you pray like there's like a little bit still? Do you pray like nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord or do you pray like maybe some things can? Do you pray like your father in heaven really wants to give you good gifts? Jesus uses this imagery of if your kid asks you for bread, you don't give him a stone to chew on. Or if your kid asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? If you ask him to come into that space, into your life, how much more would he love? How much would he love to move into that space and proclaim a good, good word, a word of peace, a word that Christ has died for you, Christ has risen, Christ will come again? This is good stuff. And it challenges my prayer life, because, and, and Sam was sharing this this morning, it's like, man, when I ask him boldly for the things that I really, really want, here's what's beautiful. God doesn't give me everything I pray for, by the way. He doesn't give you everything you pray for either. But what I love is this. If what I'm asking for is actually bread for me, he's pleased to give it. And what if, if what I'm asking for is actually a stone, he's pleased to say no. <laughs> He knows how to give you the right thing at the right time in the right way. He's that good. And what would it look like for you to run to him and ask him to come into your life in all of his fullness to proclaim his peace over all of the areas of your life where you need to hear his wholeness and receive his healing presence? Jesus is God. Amen? He's the God of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I love this. As you watch him create in Genesis 1, he speaks and it comes into existence. This is the power of God's word. He speaks and it happens. Let there be light, God says, and there was what? So when Jesus steps into the room and says, peace, there is what? This is how his word works. His word is powerful and it doesn't return void. This is how his word works. And so sometimes we receive the word of God, sometimes in the wrong way. And maybe you're with me on this, I'm speaking about myself here, but sometimes we receive the word of God in the wrong way. We hear commands that are meant for our healing and our goodness and our flourishing in Christ Jesus, and we hear them in the wrong way. We hear things like, be anxious for nothing, and then we think to ourselves, I'm such a terrible Christian, I'm anxious. You ever do that? Be anxious for nothing. Oh, I'm so anxious, why am I not a good Christian? be not afraid. I'm so scared. Why am I such a bad Christian? What if we could hear these commands of God and hear the word of God in the way that God speaks over creation and hear that as a word that he's speaking over us in the same way? Like this, when he says to the storm, be still, the storm isn't like, oh, I'm such a terrible storm. Why am I like moving around so much? You get where I'm going? When he says, be still, what is it? (sighs) Creation just receives it. That's how we're supposed to respond to the word of God. Be anxious for nothing is not, you terrible person, why are you so anxious? Be anxious for nothing, Philippians 4. It's like, hey, I want to speak that same peace over you that I spoke over the storm. Be anxious for nothing. Let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will wash over your hearts and minds, guard you in Christ Jesus. What if we could hear this creative, powerful, and the theologians call it effective. It's the effective word of God. In other words, God's word does what it says. So if he comes into your life and says peace, you got peace. If he says your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. If he says I love you, It means he really does love you. And I love this. Jesus doesn't speak mere words. They're words that are backed up by reality. That's what I love, too. He doesn't just say things like, I give you my peace. Ephesians says he is our peace. He knows how to bring us peace because he is our very reconciliation with the Father. In spite of our sin, in spite of our shame, Jesus Christ is himself our peace, Jesus doesn't just say, I love you. God demonstrated his love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He backs up that word with an objective reality that doesn't change on your good days or your bad days. Amen? It's so beautiful. And so, after he proclaims the word, peace to you, it says he went ahead and he showed them his hands and his side, bearing witness to his finished work on the cross. He does it later for Thomas, as you heard in the scriptures. He does it later for Thomas in his doubts. See my hands on my side. Put your finger right here. Meeting him right in the very place of his doubts where he needed to hear it the most. And it makes them glad. And I love it for Thomas. For for the rest of the disciples, his appearance and his, his wounds make them glad. For Thomas, it makes him worship. His response isn't just gladness. It's, my Lord and my God. Praise you. Isaiah 53 says it was those wounds by which we're healed. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so this peace that Christ won for you and me, praise God, it's a word that is rooted in, in a reality that is outside of you. It doesn't come from within you. I mean, what's in that room but fear and doubt? But someone from outside of that room comes in and proclaims a word that changes their lives. And the same thing for you and me. The, the answers to your questions, the answers to your doubts and your fears, it doesn't come from you hiding longer in some space and isolation. It actually comes from outside of you, from a savior whose resurrected life is indestructible and doesn't change with your good days or your bad days. Praise God, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the Savior in whom we put our faith that saves us. And he does not change. He does not change. This gift of life that's in Jesus, I love this. It doesn't stop there with your sins forgiven, with you being reconciled to God, with you and me be, be, being made right, it doesn't just stop there, it, it continues, it goes on. Our life in Christ is not a reservoir where we just keep receiving the blessings and blessings and blessings and blessings and blessings of God, but it doesn't go anywhere else but us. I love this, the life that we have in Jesus is, is a river. <laughs> we become a, a vessel and a conduit through which, yes, the grace of God comes to us and fills and wants to fill every area of our lives, but it also wants to spill out of every part of our being into the lives of other people. And I've been, I've been blown away by this. We'll look at verse 21. Jesus calls them forward, not just a word of peace for them, but it's going to be a word of peace that spreads throughout the whole Roman Empire. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. I feel like something the Lord's been teaching me personally lately is just this gift of what we've been saved for. We've been saved from so many things, but we've also been saved for some wonderful things, too. We've been saved from sin, death, and Satan. We've been saved from the punishment that we deserve for our sins. All who put their trust in Jesus have this as their inheritance. This is ours in him. But what have we been saved for? Towards what? And I love this. If you're nerdy like me, maybe you'll want to look this up. There's a word, and, and I don't typically get all nerdy like this, but, but this is helpful. There's a word in, in the New Testament, in Greek, it's Koinonia. If you find this word, find out every time it's used in the New Testament. It'll blow your mind. The word means sharing in or participation in or partakers of. And the way it's translated is all over the place. And so when you have a word in Greek that's translated all over the place in English, you know that we don't have an equivalent for it in our language. Right? So check out this word because sometimes it's translated fellowship and we're like not talking about coffee and donuts. Sometimes it's translated sharing. Sometimes it's translated participation. Sometimes it's translated partakers of. But watch this word, because when you follow it, it's like, oh my goodness, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has this amazing life, perfect love for one another, perfect joy, perfect peace. And God wants to give you koinonia with that, with him. He wants to... Absorb you by the blood of Jesus into his very presence to experience participation in his very life, his very love. And so one thing you can call it is the as-so of the gospel. John 15, as the Father has loved me, that's the koinonia that the Father and Son share all the time. As the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Now abide in my love. That's the as-so upward. But watch this. There's an as-so that goes outward, too. As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, this, when you share in the life that is in Jesus, you share in his love, you share in his joy. And he says this stuff, abide in my love. I've spoken these things to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be full. I want you to have this. So the upward, but then there's the outward. You know that Jesus came. How was he sent? As the Father sent me, how was he sent? He was sent to seek and save that which was lost. He was sent not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He he was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, to proclaim good news to the poor. As the Father sent me, so also I'm sending you. I want you to participate in the work that I'm still doing there. Because there are still people who are brokenhearted that need to be bound up. There are still people who need to hear the gospel proclaimed. There are still people who need to know that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And they need to repent of their sins and put their trust in him so that they might have life that is life, that is life, that is life, that is life. life. And just as God breathed on Adam, In Genesis chapter 2, he created man from the dust of the ground, breathed life into him. So Jesus Christ breathes his new creation life into his church. He breathed on them. It's beautiful new creation language. New creation, a new humanity destined for a new heavens and a new earth when Christ comes back to make all things new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. There's actually too much to say about all this. So so landing it this morning, we'll go with where John lands it. He actually says the same thing. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. I could have written more, but I wrote these things so that you might believe. There's so much more to say, but I'm saying this. In our ministry with crew, we often have the privilege of sharing the gospel with people. But one of the things that is an important piece of what we share is we share with people. It's not enough to know about it. A person has to personally receive Christ in order to know God's love and to know God personally and to walk with him in the ways that we've been talking about this morning. John earlier in the book put it like this, to all who did receive him. By the way, believing and receiving are two sides of the same coin. If you believe, you receive him. And if you receive him, it's because you trust, right? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What would it look like for you? Maybe you've already received him, but there's an area of your life where you need to receive his healing presence in that particular area of your life. What would it look like for you to open up that space to his healing presence this morning and say, come Lord Jesus into this room and proclaim your peace and your healing, shalom, wholeness over this area of my life. Maybe somebody here has never asked him before to come in and to bring his life-giving death burial, resurrection, and the outpouring breath of his Holy Spirit into your life. If you've never received that, maybe this morning is the morning where you can simply ask, Jesus says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. Those who seek will find. To those who knock, the door will be opened. In what areas of your life do you need to receive the peace, assurance, and a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Faith in Christ. I just want to end with a simple prayer. A uh, devotional book I've been using for a number of years has these different prayers for different days of the week, and this is the Sunday prayer. And so this is a prayer that I try to look at most Sundays because it's a declaration that it is indeed Easter every Sunday. And so maybe if this prayer helps you in your journey with Jesus, I'd share it with you this morning and thought we could close together with this prayer. But it sounds like this, O God, our King, it's a declaration of the gospel and the victory of Christ. O God, our King, who by the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of eternal life. And then there's the request. Lord, redeem all of our days by this victory redeem every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every hour, every minute, redeem all of my days, months, years by this victory. Forgive us our sins, banish our fears. Make us bold to praise you and to do your will and steal us. God, give us the perseverance to stand firm in the good news and the grace of God, to grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus. Steal us to wait for the consummation, the fulfillment of everything you promised, the consummation of your kingdom until that great, Last day. What a great prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer that gives shape to your life if you live into it. This is the good news of Jesus, and this is a request that comes from the good news of Jesus. May God do this for you and give you exceedingly, abundantly more than you could ask or think according to his power that is at work within you. Not because of you, but because of Jesus and everything he's accomplished for you. This is all about him. And if you've never turned from your sins and put your trust in him, may today be the day where you say, I have been brought from the kingdom of darkness to light. I have been made new by the blood of this savior, by his wounds, I can be healed. He's there for you. Let's pray. God, we declare that you are our king. Thank you that by the resurrection of Jesus, you have conquered sin and death and Satan And we ask that in this place this morning, Lord, you would indeed meet us in the places of our guilt and allow us to receive your forgiveness. Would you meet us in the places of our fear and doubt and banish our fears and doubts? Would you cause us to leave from this place filled afresh with your Holy Spirit to participate with you in what you're doing? Make us bold to praise you and to do your will and then steal us, Lord. Give us the grace to stand firm the roots of our faith in the soil of your love, and stay there until the day you return and make all things new. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.